You're listening to Coffin Cast. Welcome to Coffin Cast, episode 12. My name is Kristen. I hope that you are having a beautiful Monday morning, that the sun is shining, the birds are singing, there's a light breeze in the air. Or if you prefer, I hope it's slightly overcast, with a hint of a chill in the air, and rain trickling down gently, just enough to give you a little spritz, but not enough to soak you. That's my preference, but that's because I live in Texas and I hate the sun because the sun's trying to kill me every time I walk out the door. So anyway, hope your week is going well, even though it's just started. Uh, Last week was great for me, as far as the podcast goes. I mean, in general, it was a good week, but it was a really good week as far as the podcast goes. I am now available anywhere you can hear a podcast, which is excellent. Also, I've gotten more listens this week, or this last week, than I have ever. I'm almost at 200 listens. I know for a lot of people that doesn't seem like a lot, but I didn't think 10 people were going to listen to me talk at length about anything. But here we are, we're almost at 200 listens, and that's a big deal to me, so I appreciate that. Also, I've gotten some ratings. I've also gotten some feedback. I appreciate both in equal measure. So the ratings have been phenomenal across the board. I've gotten five stars on Podchaser, which is the IMDB for podcasters that I told you about last week. That's podchaser.com. Go there, see what I listen to, rate me, give me constructive feedback on episodes, that sort of thing. It's perfect for that. If you can do that, I'd appreciate it. Also, I've gotten five stars across the board on Apple Podcasts, which is what makes me so happy to be there right now because I had no idea how I was doing this whole time. So on the other coin or other side of the coin, rather, I got some constructive feedback and it's feedback that I definitely needed and I definitely agree with. I was told that um, though I'm doing well, the music would get a little monotonous in the background. And I, as I was recording last week, was wondering that in the back of my head. I was like, is this music getting annoying? Because one thing that drives me crazy is repetitive stuff. And I was worried that the music was getting a little repetitive. So I appreciate that feedback. I agree with that feedback. And I'm going to run with that feedback. So how it's going to play out. I'm probably still going to do music under the entire opening and maybe the closing. Just to kind of wrap things up and begin things to set you in the mood. I may do little bits of music in between if I'm doing like different segments or things like that that need kind of a mood change. But I'm going to try to do it more sparingly. Um, Part of the reason I was doing background music is... I have a lot of background noise in my house, and I thought maybe that would cover it a little bit. But, you know, I have a noise reduction mic. I have a condenser mic. I'm hoping that that will do the trick, and that'll be good enough. Here's hoping. So, 
Also, I want to talk about last week's episode. I had so much fun doing that episode. That was my favorite, I think, next to the first one I did. It brought together two of my biggest interests, so the true crime and music. So it was fun to kind of learn stories behind these songs and share them with you because I love hearing the stories behind songs, even if they're not crime-related. I just like knowing where creative people get their ideas. So you may be wondering, what am I going to do this week? I kind of had that same feeling. I didn't know if I could top last week. But, you know, that's, that's the beauty of this. I don't have to top last week. I can just do my thing and hopefully you guys enjoy it. I know I enjoy this story that I'm about to tell you this week. It's a very bizarre story. But I think at the heart of it, it's a very noble story as well. So this is the story of Dr. Carl Schmidt. Um, I don't want to get into it too much before we get the episode started, because why would you have a need to listen if I tell you everything, right? So I will say that he is from the area I was born in. Um, I don't know if I said that right. The area He's from the area I was born I think that sounds more professional. Anyway, he worked at the Field Museum in Chicago. He was from the Chicago area. I was born in Joliet. I've been to the Field Museum. I love the Field Museum. The Field Museum is where Dr. Carl Schmidt met his doom. He didn't die there, but he met his doom there, let's just say. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and meet Dr. Carl Schmidt. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I like to talk about the victim aside from his or her victimhood. That's not the only thing they deserve to be remembered by, and Carl Patterson Schmidt is no different. Definitely no different. Um, He did a lot in his life, so let's go ahead and go over that. So he was born June 19, 1890, in Lake Forest, Illinois. He entered Cornell University to study geology and biology in 1913, But after two years of study, he found that he had an interest in herpetology. So what is herpetology? Some people may know, but just to give those of us who don't know the exacts on it, I'm going to give you the direct definition. So herpetology is the study of amphibians and reptiles. Modern herpetologists, just to give you an example, would be like Jeff Corwin or most famously Steve Irwin. May he rest in peace. So back to Carl. Carl graduated in 1916 and spent the next six years working at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. He made several expeditions to South America to study during this time, and in 1922, he became the assistant curator to the Field Museum in Chicago, so he returned home to spend his remaining years. He was kind of a 
Indiana Jones of herpetology, if you will. He made trips to Honduras, Brazil, Guatemala in order to obtain specimens for the museum. And during his time as assistant curator, he did spend time in the U.S. Army during World War II. In 1941, when he returned, he got a promotion and became the chief curator for the Field muse Museum excuse me, and remained so for the rest of his career. From 1942 to 1946, he was also the president of the American Society of Ichthyologists and Herpetologists. He named 200 different species in his time and was a leading expert on coral snakes. Some of his texts today are still used as an authority on coral snakes, so if ever you need to know some info on them, look up Carl Schmidt. He'll help you out. He wrote over 200 books and articles including, most famously, Living Reptiles of the World, which became an international bestseller. He retired from the museum in 1955, and later on, due to a very generous donation of 15,000 herpetology texts, he had a memorial herpetology museum named for him at the Field Museum, and it's still there to this day, the Carl P. Schmidt Memorial Herpetology Library. Not only that, but if you do go to the library, or the museum rather, <laughs> um, there's still a specimen of his that is on display. It's an alligator that he personally had to wrestle in Belize, physically wrestle. He got into a swamp and took down this alligator barehanded. So let me tell you, I'm going to give you a quote that he said specifically about this battle that he had to give you an idea of who he was quote fearing that we would lose the only good sized crocodile we'd seen i made a despairing grab for the eyes with the thumb and forefinger this proved to be decidedly effective hold for i had no difficulty carrying him ashore changing my hold to the front of his jaws proved almost disastrous for although it was easy to hold the jaws shut he was able to twist over and over with, with astonishing rapidity, necessitating equal rapid changes of the hands on his snout to avoid laceration by the sharp protecting teeth. So suffice it to say, Carl was a badass. Let's get into what made badass Carl Schmidt meet his end on September 26th, 1957. Carl retired from the museum in 1955 and was enjoying his retirement when he received a call from the Field Museum. The director of the Lincoln Park Zoo had sent over a snake that they were having trouble identifying. And Carl, being an expert, was the first person the Field Museum called. And he was happy to help, of course, and made his way back to the Field Museum. Carl began a diary describing the next 24 hours in detail. September 25th, 1957, quote, a 30-inch snake brought for identification into the Chicago Natural History Museum from the Lincoln Park Zoo proved to be uncommonly difficult to name. It was known to be an African snake and with the characteristic head shape, obelique and keeled dorsal scales, and brightly colored pattern should have proven no difficulty. But no key for identification would make it a boom slang for the anal plate was undivided. That it was, nevertheless, a boom slang. And that's, uh, then in quotations, he put the scientific name that I'm going to butcher right now, the dis dispolitis typhus, 
end quote, or end parentheses, was dramatically tested by its behavior. He continues, quote, I was discussing the possibility of it being a boom slang when I took it without thinking of any precaution, and it promptly bit me on the fleshy lateral aspect of the first joint of my left thumb. The punctures bled freely, and I sucked them vigorously. The mouth was widely open and was made with the rear fangs only. Only the right fang entering at its full length of about three millimeters. End quote. So he didn't believe at this point that such a small amount of venom could harm him. But in his, you know, what he believed at the time was mild misfortune, he saw an opportunity. He was going to document the effects of the venom. Never had this been done before. And he wanted to be the first to do it. As he left the museum for the day, he was fine. He was feeling fine for the most part. But as he boarded the train to go home that night, he started to feel some symptoms and began to record them in his diary. 4.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m., strong nausea, but without vomiting during the trip to Homewood on suburban train. His next entry read, 5.30 to 6.30, strong chill and shaking, followed by fever of 101.7 degrees. Bleeding of mucous membranes in the mouth began about 5.30, apparently mostly from gums. His next journal entry was at 8.30. He says, 8.30 p.m., ate two pieces of milk toast, end quote. Next entry, quote, 9 to 12.20 a.m., slept well, urination at 12.20 a.m., mostly blood, but small amount, took glass of water at 4.30 a.m., followed by violent nausea and vomiting contents of stomach being the undigested supper, felt much better, and slept until 6.30 a.m., It should be noted that Carl was asked to receive medical attention several times, specifically by his wife. He refused, saying, quote, it would upset the symptoms, end quote. He started to believe, it seemed anyway, he started to believe that he was through the worst of it. And he even called the Field Museum to let them know he would be visiting that day. We are now on page three of his diary, and it is dated September 26, 1957. 6.30 a.m., temp 98.2, ate cereal and poached egg on toast, applesauce, and coffee for breakfast. No urine with an ounce or so of blood every three hours, meaning he was peeing blood every three hours, but not a lot. Mouth and nose continuing to bleed, not excessively, end quote. That is the end of his diary. The rest of what happened has to be recounted by the file of his physician. So at 1.30, he vomited and was vomiting violently and called out to his wife. He was covered in sweat and unable to speak to her. She right away called the physician. The physician got there and got him to the hospital. And by 3, he was pronounced dead of respiration paralysis. His eyes, heart, lungs, kidneys, and brain were bleeding out on him. He bled to death internally. 
by the time he got to the hospital, there was no way to save him. So how did this happen from such a small amount of venom? To find this out, we kind of need to look into the boomslang. At the time of the incident, boomslangs were found to be mainly harmless. At the time, in 54 years of study, the snake had only caused seven known deaths. By all accounts, that is not a lot in that amount of time for a venomous snake. The boomslang is considered to be a shy snake and will only bite if threatened. They tend to move away from danger instead of charging at it, so they're not very aggressive. Typically, they're thin and not particularly long. I think they the longest on record was about five feet. So, I mean, for a snake, that's pretty long, but typically they run about three feet. The venom is referred to hemitoxic with coagulopathic properties, causing hemorrhaging to the gums, nose, and other orifices, as well as existing cuts, which is what Dr. Schmidt was referring to in his diary. It is said that a small amount of boomslang venom can kill a bird in minutes, and in 24 hours can kill a human. So that's what happened to Dr. Schmidt. So even a momentary error in judgment killed someone who knew better, and it seemed in his notes that he knew he knew better. So one has to kind of wonder, did he know he was going to die? Or did he truly believe he was going to be fine? I may be romanticizing him a bit, but part of me wants to believe he knew and he was documenting everything so that people would know to get help right away if they were bitten. Now you kind of might be saying, well, he could have just gone to the hospital right away and gotten an anti-venom. Unfortunately, due to the fact that boomslings are only in Africa, the anti-venom is only available in Africa. This was 1957. There was no Amazon that was going to get it to him with two free day shipping. And even if there was back then, he didn't have two days to get this. He had 24 hours. And he did his best. I want to say he did his best to not die in vain. Schmidt did not get the respect I believe he deserved in life or in death. Even now, I mean, his name, like Googling his name, all it talks about is how he kept a diary of him dying. And I mean, they don't, most of the links don't even go into depth about what the diary says. It took some digging to find something, and you'll find that in the sources. There's a very elaborate video that goes into it that helped me a lot because I couldn't find the full diary anywhere and I wanted to make sure you guys had the ability to listen and hear everything that he was going through. And this is a shorter episode, so I apologize for that. Also, I just want to point out that if he maybe was born 50 years later, he would have had a show on Animal Planet easily because he was in the thick of it wrestling alligators he was in the dirt in the muck in the swamps just like steve Irwin was so there may not have been a steve Irwin if it wasn't for carl p schmidt so that's something to consider um also he would be alive today if he was born 50 years later and got bitten by a boom slang you know and he needed the anti-venom i'm sure it could have gotten to him in time 
So his research and his diary didn't do a lot for Americans, obviously, because we don't have boomslings, but his information did, you know, help people in Africa quite a bit because they're the ones that are dealing with boomslings because that's where they're from. So he contributed a lot and probably saved a few lives with what he did. So good on good old Carl. May he rest in peace. So before I completely close out this week's episode, wanted to say a couple things. First of all, this episode was another experiment. This will be the last experiment. I apologize. A, I took out a bunch of the music. I'm only doing it a couple places in the, the opening title and in this closer here. So it's, there's still going to be music. I'm trying to take it out. As I mentioned from my constructive feedback that I got earlier. So I'm going to see how it goes. Let me know what you guys think. If it needs more music or less music, or if it needs to go back to the way it was, let me know. Also, I recorded the opening, the story, And the closing three separate ways. I'm sure you can tell the difference. I was able to tell the difference. So the opener I did on Audacity and then I uploaded it to Anchor. The second way I did it, the story segment of things, I just uploaded to Anchor directly by recording into my mic. And the third way is I'm literally sitting right now on my bed with my iPhone with my earbuds the way that I originally started so I would like to know what you guys think of the sound quality I'm airing towards audacity I think it sounded better I think it took out the tinniness that some people have mentioned with the microphone so probably gonna stick with that but I hate the computer I have to use so that I'm able to use audacity so I don't know I'm probably gonna try to stick with audacity though Let's see, what else? Also, the Three Hours Later podcast had a really excellent thread on Twitter. It said, what would you call your fan base? I have decided to dub you guys Casket Cases. Let me know how that sounds if you like it. Because as of right now, that's what you guys are, Casket Cases. But if not, if you have a suggestion, let me know. And we'll, we'll change it if, if it sounds good. So, last but not least, I want to apologize personally to Lisa from the 90s Court podcast. I know you were looking forward to this being an episode about a snake eating a person. I want to tell you that after you said that, I was like, oh, maybe I can find a story about a snake eating a person. I found lots of them, Lisa. There's a lot of stories out there. However... They're particularly gruesome, and there's video accompanying them of people being, like, sliced out of snake bodies. But they're not alive, it's just their bodies being pulled out of snakes. So I decided that might be a little too gruesome for me. (laughs) If there's such a thing, that would be it. Um, But there's videos out there if that's something you're interested in looking at. I particularly am not. But that being said, I am taking a suggestion of Lisa's and doing that for the next week's episode. She and I are in the same area, in the Austin area, 
And the particular story she suggested is one I actually watched a documentary on probably a couple years ago. And when she mentioned it, I'm like, I know that one. And it was like, yeah, I got to do that one because it's, it's kind of a murky story. The truth, we don't know if it's come out yet or not. So without getting into it any further, it's going to be a good one. It's a local Texas story. I look forward to sharing it with you. Lastly, that's it. I mean, there's no lastly. That's it. That's the podcast for this week. I wanted to make it longer, but alas, like I said, there wasn't a whole lot of info out there on Carl Schmidt, but I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, life is a dream walking, but death is going home. Stay safe out there. Have an excellent week. And we'll see you next week. Monday morning at 8 a.m. Great way to start off your work week. Love you guys. Have a great one.